The material in this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should not rely on this information to make any medical-related decisions. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a doctor-patient relationship, and nothing should be taken as specific medical advice for any given person. I hope you enjoy Marked Medicine. Hey, Mark. I have a question. Okay. How many times do you think I've asked you that question? Do numbers go that high? I doubt it. And from that concept, the idea of marked medicine was born with Dr. Mark Brulte. And with Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner. And you're now listening to Marked Medicine. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Marked Medicine. We're honored today to have our guest, uh, Jordan Watkins. She's here to tell us her personal journey with fertility difficulties, a very important topic. Uh, we're uh, really proud to have her here. And uh, Jordan, how are things going today? Thank you all so much for having me. I'm Jordan Watkins. I'm from Alma, Georgia. I married um, Buddy Watkins from Douglas. He goes by Buddy. That's how most people know him. I work um, on a mobile PET CT unit for skin and cancer patients, and we go to several different facilities around South Georgia. Um, and I just want to kind of share my story on from when I first started having female issues to going through IVF and that um, journey. It's um, a very common problem. I don't know if people realize that, but the statistics are rather impressive. Well over 100 million couples worldwide Somewhere around 5% of couples are permanently infertile, uh, ranging up to 28, maybe even 30% are subfertile at times. Um, so really a big issue that people are not necessarily super aware of. There's a lot of not talking about it and things. And so how did all this start for y'all? Tell me what happened. Um, well, first off, when I was around 14 years old, I started having a lot of female issues, and my dad was actually the one to tell my mama, hey, we need to take her to the doctor. Something's not right. So I went to the doctor's appointment, and we they thought that I might have endometriosis, but they first recommended doing surgery. And so my mom and dad, because I was so young, were a little nervous, so we got three different opinions, went back with the first doctor. I did have endometriosis. And I was never told that it would be a problem getting pregnant because of the endometriosis. It was always said, oh, well, whenever you start having kids, the endometriosis will kind of fade away. And I was young. Back then, we didn't have internet like we do now, can Google things. Um, I had about five to six different surgeries to remove the endometriosis. I had a bunch of ovarian cysts that would be removed. Um, my last surgery for that was in 2018, and that's when they tried to um, also flush my tubes to see if that may be having problems because I had started talking about wanting to try to have kids. Um, we had been kind of trying and kind of not trying. My brother and sister were also going through fertility issues, and I kind of felt like I didn't want to get pregnant before they did because... I knew what they were going through. Um, but my brother told me, don't wait on us. You need to go ahead and try. My brother also, he used to, growing up, he would always be like, oh, poor Jordan, she's hurting. It's that time of the month. Poor, poor her. Well, when they went to their fertility doctor, he came back and he said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I had no idea about what really goes on in the women's body, what everything pain or how this works and that works um so that's kind of when we started trying to decide where we should go from there um i had the surgery they tried to do a hsg and that's where they go and do contrast in the x-ray room to see if my my tubes are working one was completely blocked and the other was partially blocked. So that's when I started going to the fertility specialist. Um, my AMH, was, which is anti 
Mueller hormone was 0.46. And that's basically checking like my egg count. And that was extremely low. Um, 25 years old is usually three. A 30 year old is 2.5 and 35 is 1.5 and mine was 0.46. So I didn't have a lot of hope, but the doctor told me we would work with it. So I had to start taking birth control to get my periods regulated. I also had to do a saline ultrasound to make sure that there was no polyps or fibroids in my um, uterus um, and that it looked okay. Um, so that was all good. And then I had to also do an androgel, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, that's a testosterone therapy and that was to increase my ovarian, ovarian response during the IVF. Um, I started injections towards the end of January of 2019 and we would have to go back and forth every few days to Jacksonville where they would do blood work, they would do ultrasounds to check follicles, they would want the follicles to be anywhere from a size, um, they would want it to be like 18 to 20, mine were never quite that big, um, I had eight follicles between 13 and 18. Um, I would take a trigger shot and then I would go in to have an egg retrieval. The egg retrieval, I got five eggs and four embryos. And a few weeks later is when I got the call from my doctor saying that none of my embryos had made it, but if I wanted to spend more money, he could do a couple more different things which whenever you're trying to get pregnant, money's never an option. You'll do whatever you need to do to get that. Um, but just the way that it was kind of told me um, that it was just thrown out the window, kind of like, oh, well, it didn't work this time. You know, if you want to spend more money, we can do it again. I haven't went back and done IVF. Um, it kind of broke me. It cause severe anxiety and depression and um, it's also caused it's been hard in a marriage too going through fertility issues um, a man and woman's different they all both we handle our emotions different than a man does and having all the hormones that I was given and then totally just going back to zero, and it's just, it's, it's been hard. It's been hard. Um, my husband's kind of kept it where I may cry about it or be mad about it or really just mad at the world, mad at God. He's kind of kept it quiet into himself, and I think that's been to maybe protect me, but I've also kind of, I need that understanding from him too. The, there's several striking thing, things about that story. Um, I think the most striking thing to me is, boy, you got a great dad. Well, yeah. I was actually, <laughs> I, I was I mean, actually, I wrote down, I made a note. Good job, mom and dad, you, for advocating for you. I mean, what an insightful guy. And your brother, I mean, hey, you know, <laughs> y'all were kids, and now y'all aren't kids. I mean, he yeah. sounds like he turned out okay, probably because of the great dad and, yeah. and great mom and. And your husband sounds very supportive, and you just really, you know, just this long list of things you went through um, over such a period of time, and it's just, it's a common tale when you read about this, and oh my gosh, the toll and the, um, just the emotional roller coaster of everything that occurs is just uh, unimaginable. It's... Well, and not to mention the physical changes. I think right. a lot of women will have a lot of bloating or, you know, right. not feeling well. And this is before you even have the trigger shot or anything, right? right? I mean, right. so, and if I can take us back, I guess, just a little bit for anybody listening, if you don't mind sharing, do you remember what symptoms you were experiencing as a young child, as a young girl? Um, yeah, I would, I probably would miss school one day a month. 
Um, and that's when my daddy was like, mm, "This, ain't, I have an older sister. And he was like, that didn't happen with her. You know, my mom never really experienced pain like that. But I would have, um, my thighs would hurt really bad. And almost they would feel like numb and just very bad stomach cramps to where I couldn't get out of bed. I also have kidney stones all the time, and so I'm used to pain, but it was a different, I, it just it was unbearable type pain. And it seemed to be cyclic yes. with your, yes. every month. The, um, the emotional aspects of all this, uh, you touched on a lot of them, the anxiety and the depression, the guilt, uh, oftentimes shame, you know, when you read about these things, and they become the primary stressor in a marriage and in a family. Um, oftentimes, I mean, I'm sure you have a story to tell about all that. The, I think it is important when you get hooked up with the fertility clinic and to start recognition of potential mental health concerns related to this early. I think a well-rounded clinic would do that and would steer you to group sessions and things like that. I don't know what your experience was with any of that. Um, I, di- I would definitely... We've talked about doing IVF again. Um, we've went back and forth, and my husband's been nervous to, like, if it don't work again, you know, will that be my breaking point? Um, they didn't offer that. And also, I'm still, like, stuff that I have met other women, and they talk about, I don't know all that. Like, I was very blinded or jaded. Um, I didn't know everything I was I would ask questions and my doctor would just kind of like be like because I asked about my job I'm around radiation a ton of radiation and he'd be like well you're monitored for it and yes I am but I already know that I don't have a lot of eggs you know like what should I do with that my husband owns a gym he takes pre-workout or you know this and that and that was another thing and it was just kind of like well he'll know what he can do well yes and he you know it just it was kind of just a rush process really well and I'm I'm not here at all to say anything negative about your doctor at all um but one of the things that we're about that Mark is about and Mark may tell it better than I can you know is it really is our goal for other healthcare providers to understand the importance of taking care of the patient as if they're part of your own family. And I'm not saying you didn't experience that. I'm not sure, but you know, maybe some of that, you know, could have helped you if you could have had a, I don't know, you know, if you could have had a provider that was just a little bit more, maybe sometimes for providers, they get jaded a little bit. I don't know. And so it's kind of just another day at the office and, you know, yours may have just been having a bad day that day. I'm not sure, you know, but sometimes I think healthcare providers maybe do get a little bit jaded and they forget that this is a person with a story, with a family, you know, that has real hopes and dreams and goals and let's talk to them exactly like I would want to be talked to if I was in this situation. And, you know, the outcomes that come from being treated that way for the patient sometimes are far better. Right, and I get a, that 100% too because working in the healthcare and seeing the same things over and over, it's easy for me to just get used to going in and doing my job. And I just kind of like you were saying, Mark, I wish that there would have been like groups that, you know, offered group talks because there are so many women that they don't, they think they're alone. And each one of us have a different story and it's not exactly the same, but. That's what I wanted people to know is that, one, you're not alone. There's always, I go to a small country church, and there's at least three of us that are going through the same thing. My sister-in-law went through the same thing. Um, And I also wanted to bring awareness for women who are younger, in their 20s, who may just be newly married but want to have a family but are having endometriosis or any other female problems to go ahead and start thinking about the future don't wait until you think the money's right or you think you're ready for family go ahead and start taking 
test or blood work, see what your AMH is, see what all this stuff is, and not be older and trying to figure it all out. Right. Go ahead and establish that relationship with a health care provider. And right. Get on your vitamins and right. that type of thing. And I think the other value of particularly like group therapy sessions is meeting other people with the same problems. You just learn so much. I mean, it, this is a different world than it was 30 years ago. Everybody has access to the internet. And so talking to other patients and women with similar issues will prompt you to look up certain things and learn certain things. And it's it's just always good to do that. And the statistics I stated earlier are actually probably low because there's there are many marginalized groups in the world that are not counted in these statistics. Third world countries, poor countries, uh, non-traditional families, um, people that um, have uh, um, childlessness is a real stigma in some societies. That's what I was so say. a lot of these other societies they're not even counted. So probably it's a much, much bigger problem worldwide than anyone realizes. Well, that's even here too. Actually, in our society as well, I mean, if you read about it, there's lots of women who don't even discuss it with their best friend. That's right. They don't discuss it with their family. Because it's hard for what I go through a lot of times is I feel like as women, we were made to have have children, be able to bear kids. And so... When my brother and sister-in-law were going through it, I would be praying and I'd be like, please don't let it be my brother's problem. Please don't let him be the one because I'm scared if it's him that, you know, they can't have a baby that he won't be able to take it. He won't feel like he's a man enough. And until I went through it myself, I didn't understand that. Whoa. I felt, I feel like I'm okay some days and then some days I'm totally not because I'm, I don't feel like I am able to do what I was, what my body was made to do. Well, and I think Chris Sheffield said it best when he recorded with us. He said, you know, everybody has a story. Everybody's dealing with something. I mean, that's not to minimize what anybody's going through, um, but just your bravery for sharing that. I I know it's going to touch somebody. And you bringing up your brother, worrying about your brother, you know, infertility impacts men as well. I know you've, read some on that today Mark. yes it's um it's you know there's the causes are numerous and some are purely on the female side some are purely on the male side some are combo and uh it's uh, a long list that you know um we can go through or we can do at the end of the segment however y'all want to do it but i think that um the important thing is to find a doctor in a clinic you trust that cares about you, that your husband is also comfortable with. And uh, the statistics are pretty good on in vitro if you look at them overall, over a multitude of cycles and tries and various techniques. And it's all very technical and complicated these days like like crazy. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, Something that just started 45 years ago has exploded. Eight million children born from in vitro worldwide. Um, so I think that, have y'all discussed other clinics or anything? Or We have. I also, after, I was knocked out of it, but the doctor who did my egg retrieval was not the doctor that I was seeing all throughout my time there. And she had told my husband, she said that my all of my levels, my hormone levels were low enough to do like a fresh transfer. I don't know if that would have worked or if it would not have worked. You know, that's something that I always think about and wonder and what ifs. But I've also, I've wanted to go to a clinic if we decide to do it that are that, that will be more open to a fresh transfer and because that might be what my body needs. Um, and I think that that's something else that I would have, like to have been explained more the difference in a fresh transfer and not a fresh transfer. Um, I think that that is anybody that's going through that really needs to not be afraid to ask questions. Um, I also wanted to mention that there's also women out there that are going through um, that may have a child, but they want to try again and they're having fertility problems. So it's not just people who can't have children at all. There's secondhand 
fertility issues, and those women need to feel like they can come out and talk to. Yes, what they call subfertility, right. as opposed to That's infertility. Right. And you know, hopefully, we can help remove any barrier there. I think a lot of women probably deal with, you know, well, be thankful for the one you have, or right. be thankful for the ones that you have. And again, everything's relative, and everybody has a story, and you don't know what anybody's going through. And you know, you can have five kids but if you have that one that you can't have or that one that you lose or whatever it's just as I mean it's hard you know so you're speaking for them too right and I also wanted to say that um it took a while I would make excuses I would always be asked like well when are y'all gonna start trying well when are y'all gonna have a family and I would say well we're just not ready or well, you know, again, my job, I'm around a lot of radiation. I don't want to do it yet until I remember my uncle, he asked me, and I just broke down, and I had to tell him. And I said, We're, we are trying. We just can't have kids. And, you know, I know that it made him feel bad, and I didn't want it to, but I finally got the courage to speak out. And I don't. I want women or men, couples, to not be scared to tell people. Because there's things, you know, I get told, well, just relax. If you relax, you'll be able to have a kid. Or um, they ask, well, whose fault is it? Was it yours or was it buddy's? Who can't have the, who's having the issues? Um, Or it could be worse or it'll happen one day. Um, I've even had somebody say, well, pregnancy sucks. So, you know, you're, you're better off not to. That is things that we do not want to hear. And I know that every situation you go through, there's, I'm sure in my job I've said things that have, you know, hurt a patient and not meant to. But just maybe anybody that's not going through it, kind of be mindful. Don't always ask the newly married couple when they're going to have babies. Or if they've been married five years, don't ask them. It's when they are ready or they want to give their reasoning they'll start telling it it's interesting you say all that because i've i guess working in pediatrics i've actually read a lot i've spent a lot of time reading you know how do you appropriately respond to people who are going through a hard time especially when you're dealing with kids or whatever and all the things you said are things that i've read before that people repeatedly say and do you know i don't i don't know if they mean well or i mean they may i don't know but it it is hard and you're right you know try to back off try to be respectful and um you know again i'm sure they mean well but that doesn't make it any easier i'm sure and that's why what you're doing today is so brave and so important because imagine the people listening that may be suffering the same things that you suffered i mean and you remember it intimately i mean you you know exactly what it felt like you know everything that's horrible about it and you just talking today may alleviate some of that horror for somebody. I mean, that's amazing. Well, and another comparison that's kind of I, I made, you know, we talked earlier. I don't think Marnie would mind us talking about her a little bit, that you'd listen right. to Marnie's story. Um, for those of you listening, Marnie recorded the first episode of Mark Medicine with us, and she spoke about losing her daughter. And one of the things she and I talked about was, you know, she said people don't like to talk about it or, and we just kind of drew the analogy, you know, God forbid somebody who loses a family member, you know, we live in the South, people are showing up with, what can I do? How can I help? Whatever. But either you lose one due to a mental health issue, or again, I know this isn't a mental health issue, but you're going through something that does impact your self-esteem and your self-worth and your feelings of being a mama and being a woman. And I'm sure nobody's showing up at your door, you know, with casseroles and, you know, society doesn't oftentimes know how to respond. So therefore it comes across, you know, like, well, what did you do to cause this? Because you made the comment. Yeah. People will say, well, which one of y'all's is it? And again, they may just be joking because they don't know what else to say. Right. I don't know. But it... Basically, our society has in place traditions for certain types of loss and pain, but is silent on other types of loss and pain. And so you suffer those alone. And, and all uh, the stigmas associated with all those types of loss and pain are 
we're glad that you reached out because those are ones that we really want to work on helping remove those. Did you feel that aloneness? When just in general, you know, just you're suffering isolated. Yeah, I did. Um, I am. I hate that my brother and sister went through it. Sister-in-law went through it, but I, I did have her, but now had they not went through it, I would have been alone until I started reaching out to others and talking. Um, and even still, like I said, every situation is different. So you still feel kind of alone, whether it's no matter what you're, if, whatever you're going through IVF because of this or that. Um, but I was thankful that I had my sister-in-law, but even like I said, some days I wake up and I'm good and I'm, I'm like, you know, God, if it's your plan for us to have kids, then we will. If not, I'm going to be okay. I've got niece and nephews, and I'm going to spoil them rotten. But then some days I wake up, and I'm like, what the heck? You know, like, I am really mad, and I am, I don't, you know, I don't want to hear about somebody else getting pregnant. I'm, I know that that baby is a gift, but it, that seems to happen a lot, too, like when women are going through IVF, and especially if they're not been talking about it, then that's when the flood of baby shower invitations come in. And it's hard because you want to go and support your family and friends, and you don't want them, if they know that you're going through that, to feel bad for you. Because I don't I don't ever want to look um, – I don't want anybody to ever have a pity party for me. And I think that women go through that too. Um, we just want – people to know that you know we're fighting we're fighting our own battle and um we're strong we might not be strong every day but we're strong you are strong and correct me if I'm wrong but when I've gone through things it's just helpful to be validated right you know I see what you're going through I'm here for you not just let me know if you need me no I'm actually here for you and what you're going through is real and important to you and important to me and I support you and and the thing that's so difficult about infertility and this journey that you explained so eloquently is the complexity of it. The The list of causes, both male, female, and combination causes, is long <laughs> and complicated. And it's a lot of times you can find a cause, you know, or a couple of causes that are easily correctable. But oftentimes, up to 20% of the time, you can't even determine the cause. And there's no way anybody can understand that unless they provide those services or they go through it like you're going through it. And that's that's really difficult when you're going through it because it's like an ever, I, I call it swimming in mud. Uh, you, you just never seem to make any headway. And every time you try to do something, something else crops up. And the complexity of it is unreal at times well when I was actually in high school I was in Sunday school and I remember our Sunday school teacher the couple they were having troubles with infertility and I remember the husband saying you know people really don't understand the complexity the complexities involved you know with having healthy babies because it's I don't know if taken for granted is the right word but it seems like babies are everywhere And I didn't really understand that at the time, but as I've gotten older, I've definitely understood that really it is a very complex process and each one is truly a miracle from God. Um, I have a friend who they've done IUIs and that didn't work. Um, She actually ended up getting pregnant. Um, She lost the baby. And so they were going through IVF and everything was going good. Um, her estrogen levels were a little low, so they were having to do a different cycle, and everything was going great. She got a good amount of eggs, everything going fine. They leave the doctor's office, and they get a call. Her husband's been fine the whole time, but they get a call saying, uh-oh, well, his sperm's not working. So now it's been, she said, I feel like we're going forward, and I'm getting happy about something, and then bam. It's always something different. So there can be, like like you were saying, several different ca- causes 
and something that have changing. I mean, our body's changing all the time, whether it's something we're eating that's causing this or whether it's technology that's just figuring out more things. Things are just happening constantly in women and male health for fertility. Yes, it's it's very complicated. It really is to read about. Well, and I've noticed where lots of listeners have asked questions, you know, well, hey, Mark, do you think diet causes it? Do you think this, that, you know? And we were talking about it earlier. I know this is not helpful. This is no consolation for anybody listening that's having fertility issues. But I don't think there's really one no. thing yeah. that you can do, you know, that you can fix. I mean, sure, like you said, sure, go see your doctors early, get your levels checked, do all the things that you can. But even if all that lines up, you know, there still may be things that science just hasn't caught up with enough yet to be able to say this is what it is. Right. right. It is because when you read when you read stuff about, you know, what will help with the success of IVF or the success of fertility, you know, it's, it's these vague, generalized kind of bits of advice. Uh, you know, don't smoke, don't drink alcohol in excess, uh, exercise to moderation, try to decrease stress in your life, which decreases epinephrine and cortisol levels. And, you know, if there's a known problem, PCOS, a blocked fallopian tube, address that, you know, okay, that's kind of vague in general and probably doesn't really help somebody that's, you know, really having issues. I mean, so it's kind of like, Well, it doesn't because I think (laughs) there's there's so many that have issues that don't check any of those boxes. They don't smoke. They don't exercise excessively they exercise in moderate you know there's so many that are doing all the things right. you know it's just still hadn't happened frustration i guess and all those things saying to do i mean that those are the things that are said to help with every other kind of right problems that people are going through so i mean i, I just think it's get checked do everything you can Get a doctor, talk to other people, talk to women, know that, you know, find me on Facebook, message me. I don't mind talking about it. And I know that there are a ton of other women out there um, that will definitely share their story or just listening to what you have to say because that's what I want. That's what I want to do. I want to be somebody that you can come to and either I can cry with you or I can get mad with you. Either or, you know, that's, I just want to be here. Whether I I have, I'm blessed with kids or I'm not. I want to be there to help somebody else going through it. Well, I'm super thankful you brought that up. Mark, do you remember us talking in an earlier episode about the statistics of lowering depression and anxiety if you have a friend, if you just have a friend to talk to? Yes, I can't remember the number, but it did... I can't dramatically. remember this. Right. But, you know, support groups are not just, you know, I've I've been in different support groups before, you know, and sometimes I'd be resentful. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in this support group. I don't want to be a part of this, you know, club, for lack of better words. I don't want to be here. Um, and, you know, so I would kind of deal with that. But then I would kind of start, you know, recognizing it did help me to recognize that I'm not alone. I mean, I, it wasn't like a misery loves company type right. thing. It was just like, oh gosh, I guess it's not just me. Right. You know, it's somebody else too. And it really is helpful, not only from a personal experience, but it's proven. I mean, I don't remember the exact statistic either, but it is actually proven that if you have a friend to talk to, just even just one person sometimes, that it really lowers the um, depression and anxiety levels and suicide risk also. Yes, and I think the really neat thing about what you're doing is nobody understands the road that these other women may be on like you do. I mean, you understand the frustration. You can refill it if you have to. You refill, F-E-E-L. Literally. Uh, you can. You understand the anxiety, the depression, the anger, the, the why me's, the everything. Right. Well, and I also, one of the support groups that I've, you know, read some stuff before I like sometimes I just you know being in the medical field I like to expand my knowledge just by seeing what other people are going through and I was I read a thing that a lady wrote one time she said that um, after she lost her daughter she started working at a funeral home and people were like you know how do you do that I don't see how you do that and 
she said, well, you know, I feel like because of what I've gone through, I can really relate to and connect with the people that I deal with on a daily basis on a level that I never could have before. And she said, it's just really helped me be able to cope with losing my own daughter because I'm able to use my personal experience to help others who are walking this awful journey. Right. So Jordan, uh, you've been through quite a bit and you have learned a lot and you have a lot to teach people. What would you tell other women and couples that are going through this? And what would you particularly tell healthcare providers that are taking care of women and couples that are experiencing this? Um, for couples, you have to be your own advocate. You have to listen to your body and what you want and don't be afraid, um, whether it's to your doctor or who, to tell what, to ask the questions or tell what you need and want because you're the one that is going through it. You're the one that knows what's happening. You may go to the office and not be experiencing what you usually experience, but you're not crazy in your head. Like, you know you're going through it. So don't be afraid to keep pushing what you're feeling um, to doctors and to anybody that you run into in doctor offices, um, especially with, like, going to fertility doctors, um, your regular OBGYNs, don't say things like, well, you know, it's expensive. Like, you're going to have to ask your family or friends for money to do health care, I mean, to do fertility treatments because they don't know what's in your bank account. And that's not their place to tell you that. Um, and also, if you work, in a office and you if you see this these patients coming in all the time you see their chart you know what they're here for you there's talk in the doctor's office don't be like well are you finally pregnant yet don't ask those questions be more mindful um and also this is kind of not with the doctors but i've emailed over and over our u.s representative and our um georgia state representative because Georgia is one of the only, well, not one of the only states. There's a ton that don't. But, like, IVF insurance coverage, we don't do that here. There's some states that include that. And that is a, a big issue for women in our area that they might not can't afford it. And like I said, you know, you're, you are willing to sell whatever you have to do this. And if there's anybody that can talk to somebody, try to get a bill passed, whatever it may be, to help insurance cover because it's not, um, what is it called? I mean, it's not like medically necessary. Yeah. Non-covered service. Yeah. yeah. It's people that are going through IVF more than likely, they're not wanting to have to do it. It's not an option for, I mean, it's the only option. It's not a... You're not going to get a facelift or, you know, something like that. You're not there because you want to be there. right. Well, and we're not talking about a couple hundred dollars either. We're talking thousands. I mean, by the time one baby is born, what were the numbers? I think the U.S. average is like $12,000 per cycle, but the range is is vast from 5 to 30. I was about to say that is, I'll I'll be open. I mean, it was around $25,000, including the... Doctor, I mean the doctor visits and the medicine. The medicine is extremely um, expensive, and you have to. I think we went out of a pharmacy out of Miami. Like that's not medicine that you just get at your local pharmacy. It has to be, you know, ordered and shipped. And I mean, it is very expensive. Yeah, the complexity of this is is pretty profound. Right, but as I mean, I, just like when you said, you know, when you're going through this, you don't care. You right. don't care about that. I mean, I, I really wish that the listeners could just feel what I felt when you say, I mean, you know, I can feel that when you say that. I mean, you don't care. You want so bad, you know, for this that you don't care about that, the money, you'll do anything. But at the same time, you're right. It would be wonderful if, you know, our some our state could start recognizing right. I think there's only like 
maybe 16 states that have a, you know, where their insurance does cover. And there are now, I mean, there are insurances in Georgia, but it's not like a mandatory thing. So, I mean, you know, some get lucky and have it and some don't. And, you know, to do a cycle one time, that was easy for us. But now, you know, you add an up and add an up. I mean, some people are having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and they may or may not ever have a child. And not that they would take any of that money back because I know that they do it a hundred times more. Right. It's just the reality. It's right. just the reality of it, you know, that we're sacrificing and we're doing this knowing. Right. And I think you've touched on so many important issues, the emotional aspects, the physical aspects, the financial aspects, the relationship aspects, the interrelationships with extended family members. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually incredible. Your knowledge base and your, uh, your ability to help others is, is significant. And I really appreciate you doing Thank this. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and, and share my story. Well, thank you. And it's, I know I'm almost kind of repeating myself from what I said to Marnie, but it's true. You know, I truly believe that you will help people that you, you'll never know that you're helping. I mean, I believe that. I believe that there's going to be somebody listening that your your story is going to touch and you may never know about it. And and I hope that there's even healthcare providers listening that, again, I'm not saying that they're not treating their patients as if they're a part of their own family. Instead, what I want them to do is just embrace that, embrace that concept. And this is, Jordan is another reason why we should always remember that there is a person sitting in front of us, not just another day at the office. And you know, another aspect of your life, you're a, a pet CT tech, and I'm sure this has impacted how you deal with your patients. Yeah, it is. I've, um, I've been able to share my story with some of them too, even though it's totally different. They're battling cancer, but you know, we talk and they'll ask me, well, do you have kids? And I tell them, and we may break down and cry together. And, um, you never know what somebody's going through, whether it be fertility or cancer or losing a child. It's just, there's a connection. And I just want people to tell their stories. Um, it's a complex human journey we're all on. Right. It is. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank was... y'all so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Mark, I'm actually super thankful that Jordan came and shared her story with us today for many reasons, actually. Um, obvi- for the obvious reason, I think there's a lot of women that needed to hear her story. They need to know that they're not alone. And also because she did exactly what we have been asking listeners to do. She has a story to tell. She reached out to us and said, hey, I think I can help people with my personal story. And here she is today. And and she told her story. And that just means so much to me for us and what we're trying to do. Yeah, it is amazing how good people are, and they they really do want to help other people, and that's that's the thing that continues to amaze me about this process. It's it's um just never stops to it just never stops amazing me when I when I hear it. But right. um, well, now it's time for our my personal favorite segment of the show. It's time for our phone a friend segment where I ask you questions that our listeners have submitted. Today, there may even be a little bit of just general information about the topic. So the first thing that I just kind of want to ask you to recap, what is infertility? Well, it actually does have a specific definition. Uh, a couple that is trying to get pregnant and a female is under age 35, it's one year of a failure to get pregnant um, while trying to get pregnant. And over the age of 35, it, the definition changes for obvious reasons to less than six to six months because time is of the essence. Because the biggest risk factor for infertility is maternal age, advanced maternal age. Over age 35, fertility rates start to drop. And after age 37, 38, they drop even further. Um, so it's also there is subfertility where people have, they may have successfully had a child and then they have episodes of infertility following that, uh, 
that may last more than a year, and that's actually up to 28, 30% of couples. And all of these numbers are kind of surmised in the advanced world is probably much more than we realize, though, because of what we talked about earlier. And so I think it's a very pervasive problem. It's a problem that a lot of people suffer with. There's a lot of emotional um, damage that's done, and it's that's what's great when you hear people like Jordan speak trying to help other people. I mean, look at what they're trying to help people with. I mean, what a what a horrible um, thing to suffer alone. Nobody should suffer alone, and and she's really to be commended. She really is. That can't be overstated. Um, you, so you talked about subfertility, right? Correct. Is that different than secondary fertility? I Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact terminology, um, but it, basically the concept is what's important. It, you can have episodes of fertility that come about for a variety of reasons. Okay, so next question. Can you tell the listeners the importance of seeing a specialist earlier rather than later? Yes, um, the basic recommendation is to follow the guidelines. If if you know the couple is healthy, that once you've defined infertility, as I just did, greater than a year under the age of 35 or six months over the age of 35, then to seek the attention of a fertility specialist. However, if you know there's problems, PCOS, um, scarring of the fallopian tubes, uh, potentially some genetic or autoimmune problem uh, that could impact fertility, you probably need to seek the assistance of a fertility expert much earlier. So I guess this has always been an interesting topic for me. I love women's health. But so basically, do the stati- are the statistics clear? Should women kind of not worry if they're not pregnant within the first 12 months of trying? Or is it one of those things that it just kind of depends? Well, it kind of depends. If you're completely healthy and young and and trying to get pregnant, it, the still the recommendation is wait a year before you seek fertility uh, assistance. But it still may be a good idea to at least talk with your either primary care provider or your personal OBGYN. Yes, always, always. Anyone should always listen to their primary um, gynecologist about these kinds of issues because they're the expert in this. and They make these referrals all the time. Okay, so this question was actually submitted by one of our listeners. Can you discuss um, the impact that Klinefelter syndrome may have on infertility, um, especially as it relates to men? Um, yes, Klinefelter's is a genetic problem. It's uh, we all. If you're a male, your XY chromosomes. If you're a female, your XX. Klinefelter's is an extra X chromosome, so they're XXY. These men are these males are infertile. They have poor testicular function. I think there can be some varying degrees of that. There's potentially, not always, other associated problems such as autoimmune disorders, uh, breast cancer in the male, um, thromboembolic, meaning blood clots in the veins, uh, osteoporosis. There's a lot. Now, that doesn't happen to everyone every time, okay? Um, There are treatments, though. You can get testosterone supplementation to help. I don't know that there's treatments that provide fertility to that male. I don't think there are right now, but there's a lot of ongoing research uh, regarding this, but it's a specific genetic problem. So does this mean that all men with Klinefelter syndrome are infertile? Not exactly. Now, untreated, I think greater than 95% are. However, there's a, there are sperm found in about half or more than half of Klinefelter's men. And so with advances in uh, assistive reproductive technology, they have been able to have um, some of these men, you know, father a child. So it's not the way it was thought or taught 30 years ago. Um, So it's kind of like we've been saying for the women, you know, go see your doctor, talk with your doctor. There is hope and earlier intervention Yes, could be promising. technology changes every day. Right. Okay, next question. So what are some of the problems that can lead to infertility? 
Well, it's it's a long list, okay? And there can be purely male causes, purely female causes, and combination causes. The male infertility leads to about 20 to 30 percent of cases, the female about 20 to 35 percent of cases, and combos somewhere between 25 and 40. The number one thing that you read about with female causes is advanced maternal age, greater than 35. That's just always number one. Um, um, anovulation, meaning secondary anovulation, somebody that went through puberty and was having cycles and then they lose the ability to ovulate for some reason. That's one of the other causes. There's mechanical causes, blocked fallopian tubes, either from scarring from previous infections or, or endometriosis or, you know, was there past trauma? You know, there can just be mechanical causes. There's also, um, there's this, um, with the secondary anovulation, there's a few specific causes. They're kind of grouped into four sections. There's the hypothalamic failure, which means the hypothalamus is part of the brain that tells the pituitary gland to make um, stimulating uh, hormones to, you know, form estrogen, to testosterone, all the things that we make. There can be failure of that, what we call HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary axis. There's also premature ovarian failure that just for some reason the ovaries quit working at too young of an age. There's um, uh, PCOS and there's um, hyperprolactinemia, which is usually caused by a pituitary adenoma, a tumor in the pituitary gland. There's also uh, follicular failure where the follicles quit making uh, eggs. Um, there's anatomic uterine problems, bicornate uteruses and other uh, forms of uterine malformations that the person may be born with. People can have had previous tubal ligations that need to be reversed. There's um, uh, immunogenic causes, uh, some immune, uh, autoimmune process that can do this. With the males, it's um, uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of male causes such as endocrine disorders like hypogonadism, again, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, there can be a failure of sperm transport because of uh, scarring of the tubes, and maybe they've had a previous vasectomy. You can have primary testicular defects, and that's the most common in males, 65 to 80%, where they the testicles just quit making sperm, you know. Um, and then the, in men, there's everything is normal, normal sperm counts, sperm counts normal uh, motility, normal genetics, normal everything, and just for some reason doesn't work. That's 10 to 20 percent of the idiopathic causes in men. Um, there's also uh, cystic fibrosis causes sterility in men. Um, there's primary ciliary dyskinesia, again a motility of the sperm problem. There's over 40 genes that have been identified as or combinations of gene defects that can cause that. Kind of back to some of my previous comments and other episodes about the elucidation of the human genome in 2000 was so, so important in advancing the understanding of all these problems. And there's so much more genetic impact to all these diseases that we see and problems that we see that people used to surmise they were genetic, but they didn't know. And now you're beginning to actually know them. And then there's the combination causes. You can have um, anti-sperm antibodies that can exist in the man or the woman that actually attack and destroy the sperm and prevent fertilization and prevent implantation and embryonic growth. You can have um, uh, diabetes, thyroid disorders, adrenal disorders, celiac disease, um, previous infections, sexually transmitted infections and things, uh, Turner's syndrome in women's, much like the Klinefelter's in men, which is XXY, the Turner's is XO. There's only one X instead of two. So the list uh, really goes on extensively. Obesity, obesity raises estrogen levels. It can it can um, cause infertility. Cachexia, being too, too thin and uh, not having enough nutrition can also cause infertility. Uh, there's environmental and toxic uh, factors, uh, the uh, polychlorinated biphenyls, tobacco, um, silicones, uh, pesticide solvents. There's just been a number of things implicated in this. Radiation, as our guest talked about, there's just really an enormous number of potential um, issues that can lead to infertility. And much like most of life, the answer is rarely a problem. The answer is usually multifactorial, and it can be very, very, very difficult to figure out which 
several things is causing a particular couple's problem. And oftentimes you just don't really figure it out. It just it's it's like a great mystery. And um and that's about twenty percent of cases, which is a large number. I mean that which has to be incredibly frustrating if you're running a fertility clinic. You're doing everything right. You're investigating every potential cause. You're doing everything that's been proven to work. Again, this all started 45 years ago, which seems like a long time, but in the history of humanity, it's not really that long. Uh, so, But they've learned an amazing amount of stuff in those four decades, and they're doing everything right, and, the, and still one out of five patients just you can't help, and you don't know why, and you're not going to figure out why. So I know those are excellent answers, super in-depth, but if we can just kind of break it down just a little bit, because I know there may be women listening who are like, okay, I hear you, I hear you, Mark, but like, what is something that I can at least try? You know, give me some hope, give me some, some give me something to cling on to. What is something that I can try other than the obvious, which is reach out to your doctor, reach out, go see a specialist, because these specialists really are doing things and helping women in ways that just everyday people don't know about you know there's certain vitamins they want them taking there's certain levels that they're following that they're working on there's certain things that they're having these women do before they ever even start the process of IVF or whatever um, so that's why it's very important to reach out to a specialist sooner rather than later but what are some things that women men couples can be trying just kind of on their own while they're in the process sometimes it takes a little while to get in with your doctor you know, what are some things that they can be doing? Well, the the general advice that we discussed is basically, um, you know, don't smoke, don't drink alcohol to excess, uh, or or do any drugs uh, that are not prescribed by your doctor. Moderate exercise, decrease stress levels. And this helps with that whole fight or flight response, decreasing cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine levels in a person, and you know make sure everybody that's in, involved is healthy. And if they're not, like you said, reach out for help early. Don't wait the year. Say, hey, we've got this problem. There was, you know, previous trauma. There's endometriosis. There's, you know, a genetic history of this, that, and the other in the family. I, I think we need to talk to somebody sooner rather than later. And it may be that the advice is still wait the time once you see the specialist, but you want to hear that from their mouth, not mine. You know, and... uh so that's general advice, but once you're past all of that, you know, the treatments are fairly extensive. Um, it's, it's, I'm not an endocrinologist. I'm not a reproductive physiologist. I've always found it um, challenging to learn. I read it and I understand the pathways, and then you have to reread it and re-understand it again if you don't do it every day. But basically the treatments are broken down into medical treatments versus alternative or complementary treatments, which you were talking about, some of the supplements and vitamins and things like that. But the medical treatments are, you know, Clomid for uh, ovarian stimulation. Uh, you can supplement FSH and gonadotropin-releasing hormone. You can give the aromatase inhibitors, which are estrogen blockers. People often, these drugs were invented for um, breast cancer patients to block when breast cancer uh, cells have estrogen receptors on them you can give them these drugs and it helps stop the growth and progression of, of breast cancer well they all, by blocking estrogen if there's a hyper um, estrogen state you may increase uh, fertility in that person there's um, other hormones that they can give you can try metformin uh, which lowers androgen levels and helps ovulation occur. There's even burgeoning evidence about the GLP-1 um, agonist. Uh, and then there's, that's all the medicines. And there's a whole host of other medic medicines. They'll be checking hormone levels and supplementing those. And it's extremely detailed. It's extremely specialty specific. It's not going to be just your general doctor. It's going to be a specialist doing this stuff. It has to be done right, and it has to be done by somebody that knows what they're doing. But then you're at some point you're you're going to, if all that fails, you're going to be involved with interventions. Um, um, there's um, intrauterine insemination where they, uh, you know, inject the sperm into the uh, uterus with the egg. Uh, there's IVF that we've talked about, in vitro fertilization, and there's a multitude of associated techniques with that. 
such as ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic sperm injection, where they inject a single sperm into a single egg. That's actually the most commonly used technique now. There's ZIFT and GIFT, which are zygote intrafallopian fallopian transfer and gamete intrafallopian transfer. And that's when there's a problem with the tube. They can actually get a fertilized egg and inject into the tube, um, and hopefully it then implants in the uterus um, or in similar process gamete transfer into the tube. They take the sperm and the egg inject into the tube and it's fertilized there and then goes to the uterus. Um, there's some very new stuff with stem cell therapy that I, I tried to read about and I just really couldn't even understand it. I don't have enough molecular biology to, to really get it, but it's it's really just very complicated, very um, detail-oriented and specialist-oriented and it just has to be done right and by the right people. But it sounds to me like what I'm hearing is that there really is hope. I mean, I know there may be somebody that's listening that may be frustrated right now. Maybe you've already done all these things, but there is hope. And I believe you said that the statistics actually get better with each time that you try, right? Yes. Uh, after five cycles, I believe the success rate just a few years ago, it was 70 to 75%. Now I think it's approaching 80%. Uh, it's it's an interesting history in vitro fertilization. The first successful um, uh, child was born in 1978, Louise Brown. Uh, I, re- I actually remember this story, this new story being told. Uh, she was baby number one that was born with in vitro fertilization. And interestingly, her little sister um, named Natalie was baby number 40 that was born. Um, and it's, um, since then, you know, 45 years ago, 8 million babies born worldwide from in vitro. The, there's other things we haven't even touched on like surrogacy and perhaps you have, um, a failed ovarian system, but, um, a good uterus. And so you can have a donor egg with the partner's sperm and that can be implanted in the mother, um, vice versa. You can also have pure surrogacy where maybe there's a mechanical problem with the uterus, but the eggs and the and the sperm are fine. And so you get the embryos um, of the couple and you put them in another lady that carries the baby for them. So there's just all kinds of permutations and combinations of this. And it's, uh, it's an incredibly fascinating science. And it's quite a history to read about and to know that that medicine and science and researchers are doing these kinds of things and thinking about these kinds of things and inventing these techniques and studying the the um, endocrinology and uh, physiology to the point that they can manip- manipulate these things. It, it gives you hope for not only fertility, but for the humans humans as a species. Absolutely. And I think I would just like to remind our listeners People like Jordan telling her story, you know, is a great reminder for me that let's keep the main goal the main goal. You know, let's always remember that everybody has a story. Everybody has something that they're dealing with. Let's treat them as if they're part of our own family. Let's take care of them the way that we want to be taken care of. Let's give them that respect that they deserve and that we would want. And people like Jordan really help remind me to give my best self or to at least try to give my best self to each patient that I deal with. Yes, it's um, it always you know when you watch news stories about natural disasters and things and you realize that there's been some devastation, a hurricane a flood, a tsunami, an earthquake whatever, and you look at those news stories, it always strikes me widespread devastation, uh, rubble everywhere, and no electricity, uh, people hurt, people killed, and the numbers of peoples there locally and regionally that pull together to help correct that situation. You know, I think people want to help people, given the opportunity. I still have that basic faith in people. And so, I just, I think that's the message. People want to help people. They do, and Jordan is a testimony of that. Yes, absolutely. He is. Proud to have had her here. I am too. 
So thank you all so much for listening. Jordan, thank you for being here with us today and for sharing your story. For anyone listening, follow Jordan's lead. If you have a personal story that you would like to share with the world, you feel like it could help other people. Um, If you feel like an experience that you've had can help others, reach out. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. Um, We believe that there are people listening that have stories that they can tell that can help others reach out to us. You can find us at markedmedicine.com. You can click on the Ask Dr. Mark tab. There you can submit your questions. You can also email us at drmark at markedmedicine.com. I'll link that in the show notes. Jordan also mentioned that you are more than welcome to reach out to her if you are experiencing infertility, and I will link in the show notes how you can find Jordan. Thank you all so much for being with us, and we hope that you will join us next week, same time, same place.